We make decisions every day, but these days those decisions, big and small, can feel paralyzing. Welcome to Deciding Factors, a new podcast from GLG. I'm your host, Eric Jaffe. Each week, I'll talk to a world-class expert who has faced incredibly tough decisions and can offer unique insights to help you navigate the decisions you face. With most flights grounded, the airline industry has been hit hard by COVID-19, which is why I've asked Ben Baldanza to join us today. Ben currently sits on the board of JetBlue and was from 2005 to 2016 president and CEO of Spirit Airlines. Ben is uniquely positioned to give us insight into the current state of the industry, what it will take for airlines to survive this downturn, and what managing for the future could look like. We'll talk about the biggest decisions that airlines as well as passengers are facing and what we might see as the new normal for air travel. Ben, welcome to Deciding Factors. It's great to be here, Eric, and I'm excited to be part of this podcast. I thought that we could just start from the top on airlines. Obviously, there has been an enormous amount of disruption to this industry since COVID happened. Yesterday, Nicholas Calio, the head of Airlines for America, was testifying to Congress, and he reported that airlines are collectively burning through $10 billion a month as they cut costs and wait for demand to return. Many key indicators are significantly down. Volumes are down 95%. More than 100,000 employees are working reduced hours or have accepted pay cuts or early retirement. Could you start by just providing an update on where the airline industry stands in the wake of COVID? Absolutely, yes. Well, this is clearly the worst impact to the airline industry that I've been involved with, and I've been in the industry over 35 years, been through 9-11, the financial crisis, um, and others. But the dramatic drop in demand has really uh, thrown the industry for a loop, to put it lightly. Bookings are down you know, close to 99% from the same time last year. So it's hard to imagine you know, um, demand dropping any more than that, right? The industry is clearly in the biggest trough it could have where people just don't want to fly right now. So what are some of the big decisions that airlines are currently making and what are some of the factors they're using to make those decisions right now? Well, I'd say there are a couple of big decisions they're making. First of all, they have to manage their cash. So the industry has made money for the last 10 years or so, which means that they entered this crisis generally in better shape than say they entered at 9-11. So they had a lot of cash in the balance sheet, but holding that cash is going to be really important at a time when there isn't revenue coming in, and yet expenses are still going out because they're still paying employees, they're still paying for aircraft costs, they have commitments for real estate and things like that at airports. So airlines are burning a lot of cash every day because they're not generating much cash flying. So you've seen a number of airlines go out and sign deals with banks and others to extend their lines of credit for some period. The CARES Act also provides $25 billion in loans that the industry could take. As of right now, no loans have been extended yet and none have been asked for yet, but that's potentially there for airlines that may need that liquidity. The second thing is they've got to keep their customers engaged. And by, you know, telling them what's going on, those who are in their loyalty programs help keep them in the loyalty programs. Many airlines, for example, have extended loyalty benefits for a year saying, look, we know you can't fly us right now, but when you come back, we still think of you as a loyal customer. So come back to us. They also have to work with their vendors 
and their aircraft suppliers to rethink about you know what, where things are going. Obviously, they're not buying services from a lot of vendors today. And when they think about their fleet plan, the airplanes they have, the airplanes that are on the ground now versus those that are flying, and the airplanes they have ordered, how do they want to rethink that going forward? So they're negotiating with Boeing or Airbus or whoever they buy their airplanes from uh, to say, let's defer those deliveries and push them out a little more. How do airlines balance the need to plan for the future six, 12 months down the road, perhaps even two to five years down the road, while at the same time triaging the current situation? Right now, there isn't really a long term for the industry other than survive through this right now. There is such uncertainty about when demand for air travel is going to return. Everyone believes it will at some point. But is that this year? Is it next year? Is it years ahead? What is the airline's ability to generate revenue between now and when that happens? But most importantly now, it's about staying liquid and and staying alive and being relatively strong coming out of this. And by relatively strong, I mean, I mean stronger than your competitors maybe, because that may create other opportunities for you. I saw that the average number of passengers on domestic flights right now is, I believe it was 16 or 17. For international flights, it's slightly higher. Who is deciding to fly right now and how are airlines taking extra precautions to ensure that those passengers and the pilots remain safe? In terms of people flying right now, it's people who pretty much have to fly. There are first responders flying, right? If they have to get somewhere, there are people in the medical field who are flying. What's not happening is there aren't families getting on planes, going to Cancun to go have fun for a week. Planes flying right now are only flying about 20% full, and there aren't that many planes flying. But the ones that are flying are important. You know, you and I are having this talk over the internet. Earlier today, I had a board meeting that was all through Zoom, all right? And, uh, and what that says to me is that there is some business traffic, and by business traffic, I mean traffic where the business pays for the ticket, not the individual flying pays for the ticket. And for that, I could see some of that traffic never coming back, Eric. And many smaller airlines, because they're small, don't carry a lot of business traffic. Because if you don't have high frequency and you don't serve a lot of markets, you're not as attractive to a business generally. And so another advantage the smaller carriers have is their traffic base is likely to all come back eventually, whereas some business traffic is not going to come back for the carriers that are highly dependent on that traffic. I believe Delta commented on its earnings call that it's burning $100 million a day, but they also expect to cut that in half by the summer. How can they possibly accomplish that? And if they are able to accomplish that, how could that be replicated across other carriers? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, the, um, the CARES Act was actually a couple of pieces as it related to airlines. The first piece of that, which is largely played out already, was $25 billion allocated among airlines, roughly based on size and so, to keep employment up between now and the end of September. So there are a lot of airline employees in the United States that aren't doing much because there aren't a lot of planes flying, but they're being paid. And you know what those people are not doing? They're not asking for unemployment insurance. And in fact, part of the CARES Act as it relates to airlines, for airlines who took money from the CARES Act, they're actually obligated to keep some level of service to every city 
because the government didn't want an entire city to lose all of its air service in the interim. But the other thing it does is it um, it effectively is like if you have your car idling in the garage ready to go out, right? The, the industry sort of ready because the employees are there, the airplanes are there. Airlines haven't returned airplanes to lessors or put them out in the desert to be parted out or things like that. They're literally just parked at airports. So the airplanes are there. The employees are there. As soon as demand is there, they'll be able to get up and start running again pretty quickly. If demand has not returned somewhat by October, then I think you'll see airlines starting to lay off people. And in fact, United already made an announcement that on October 1st, they're going to lay off 30% of their employees. And part of that was because they knew they couldn't lay off people before then. And maybe they were sending a signal to the government saying, you're going to have to re-up this part of the CARES Act. Um, but Or maybe they're just being honest and telling people, look, until we see demand, we know this is what we're going to have to do on this date. Prior to COVID, I know that load factors were very high. Oil was in the 50 to 60s and airlines were increasing capacity. They were adding more fuel efficient equipment. Are executives at the airlines considering reversing some of those types of decisions as they essentially are trying to triage this current situation? Well, they're certainly thinking about what the new normal is going to be. High loads on an airplane are important for the airline's economics. If a plane is only half full and it's only going to be half full for a long time, then people are going to have to pay twice as much for their tickets versus if the plane is full. So what the industry doesn't want to do is price people out of the industry by saying we're only going to seat people every four rows or something like that. That doesn't work for the economics of the industry. An airplane tube is not practical to socially distance. So what can the airlines do to make customers comfortable given that you can't socially distance? So maybe it's wearing masks. Maybe it's wiping down the area where you sit. Maybe it's explaining the way air moves in the airplane well and uh, anything else they can do. Maybe it's some testing in the airport before you board and things like that. It could be all those kinds of things. Hmm. So does that mean then that you think airlines could return to full capacity before we emerge from COVID? That's a chicken and egg kind of question, I think. I think airlines will start to return capacity to the skies when they see there's demand willing to pay to sit in the plane. And so the question is, if a vaccine is required for most people before they choose to fly, then I don't think you'll see a lot of capacity come back before there's a vaccine. What I think is more likely, however, is that capacity will start to return maybe by the fourth quarter of this year when businesses want to start sending salespeople out to you know reignite customer initiatives and things like that. I don't expect a lot of vacation travel this year, except for maybe Christmas time. Maybe by then there might be. I think it's pretty much a lost summer for vacations. I think what they have to do is be proactive and say, here are all the ways we can keep you safe and help put in context the risk of being on an airplane versus being at a restaurant or being at a baseball stadium or something like that. How do you assess the likelihood of the United States government letting airliners face bankruptcy in the fourth quarter and or doing those layoffs versus another infusion of cash? 
That's going to be a real tough question, and it's going to be a policy question. Is the government and our taxpayers going to have sort of bailout fatigue? I think it's possible, but I don't think the industry can count on that. And so what the industry needs to do is plan for what it knows it can do, what it can control. Can you compare and contrast the domestic carriers versus international carriers, how things are playing out in Europe and Asia? Yes, there's a couple of different things. I mean, different parts of Asia have approached the virus differently. India, for example, has had almost a one-month complete lockdown. There's no airplanes flying domestically with India, nothing. And we've not done that in the U.S. And so it's affected things in different ways. The airlines that are going to be most affected for the longest term are those that are most dependent on long-haul travel. Because, well, think about it this way. Under any um, scenario that you want to try to model of demand recovery for the industry, I think you have to believe that people are going to be comfortable being on a two- to three-hour flight earlier than they will be comfortable being on a 14-hour flight. That's why, like, the American United Deltas of the world, who have you know, a big piece of their operation are flying wide body airplanes, long haul to Europe and Asia and deep into South America. Those are the parts of their business that have had to shrink dramatically right now and will be the longest to come back because it's going to be a longer lead time to get a customer comfortable with that kind of flight versus a shorter flight. Internationally, I expect we're going to see more airlines fail You've already seen Virgin Australia file for the equivalent of bankruptcy. You've seen a smaller airline, Raven Air, up in Alaska file for bankruptcy. They're not a big carrier, but they served a lot of communities that they were the only airplanes flying in there. What will it be like for a consumer to get to an airport and to fly over the course of the next year? And and also, I'd be curious to know, how would you recommend consumers make the decision to choose to fly? That's a great question. So let me say it in a couple of levels. First of all, I think there are a number of what I like to call low-tech ways that the industry can proactively get people more comfortable with flying. Clearly, the facial coverings that now seem to be generally well accepted is one step of that. I think airlines can make sure to be testing their own crews so they can say, look, it's not our pilots or our flight attendants or the person who checks you in that's going to be infecting you because, in fact, we've tested them and we test them regularly to make sure that you know that's not going to happen. I think that they can also be better with their policies around sick customers, meaning that if you're sick and you don't want to take a trip because you believe you may infect others, there shouldn't be an economic penalty to you to change your trip. And that would require some policy changes for the airline. So I think they can do all of that relatively simply, along with a really nice low fare. Maybe we'll start to bring back some traffic. The rule of thumb that I like to use is that when you're ready to go out to eat again, that's when you should be ready to get on an airplane again. And let me tell you why I think that. They're both, you can be crowded in both cases. But the way the air moves in an airplane is actually better than in a restaurant. If you sit, if you're sitting two rows in front of me and I cough, the air in the airplane pushes my cough droplets down because air moves vertically. It's actually recycled in the plane every three minutes and it's every few minutes, I mean, and it's uh, HEPA filtered as well. So it's actually closer to a hospital than, than anywhere else. Whereas in a restaurant, if you're a couple tables away from me and I cough, the air system, which is horizontal, actually will deliver my cough droplets to you at some point, which isn't nearly as safe. 
Are there any consequences of the airline industry disruption that you think are perhaps less obvious, not being reported on, that you think are interesting and relevant? I think that there are a couple. I think the whole impact of frequent flyer programs, for example, they've been very important. What is their importance after COVID? Frequent flyer programs are worth a lot of money to airlines. There's an analyst at Stiefel Research who estimated that American Airlines Advantage program and the credit card with the Advantage name on it earns American Airlines $3 billion a year, meaning American as an airline could break even flying and the company would still report a $3 billion profit all on their credit card and their and their frequent flyer program. Is that program going to be as valuable post-COVID or not? And what does that mean for the valuations of airlines with big frequent flyer programs? I think that's something I haven't heard a lot of people say much yet. How can an executive really, whether they're at an airline or or elsewhere, stay focused on triaging, staying alive, making it through this period, while at the same time trying to be strategic, trying to think about the long term? It's uh, quite challenging. I wonder if you have any advice for executives right now. The most important thing airline executives can do right now is Keep their company as liquid as possible, meaning lose as little cash every day as you can. Be very um, strategic about the flights you're flying and the flights you're not. The flights you're flying should generate cash for you, right? Even if there's only 20 or 30 people on, but make sure you can generate some cash because you got a lot of expenses to pay. Make sure you're keeping your employees engaged and they understand what's going on. Make sure you're keeping your customers, especially your best and most loyal and frequent customers, engaged so they understand what you're doing, um, understand their views of what's important to them when they come back to fly and things like that. And make sure that you're managing your business so that as demand starts to return and as the industry starts to pull out of this terrible economic trough that it's in, that my company, if I'm the CEO of that company, is in as strong a relative position it can be. And in fact, maybe I manage it better than my competitors. And that gives me an edge up at that point. I think that's the way every airline executive probably is thinking, but certainly should be thinking. What do you think that the relationship between airlines and airports is going to be as we start to restore consumer demand? There's really two contradicting things here. On the one hand, you want to spend as little time in the airport as possible um, so that you're involved with other crowds as short a time as possible. Don't even stop at the ticket counter, you know, tag your own bag, drop it off on a belt, get through security and go to the gate and get on the airplane, right? And almost like a rental car, don't see people. On the other hand, what we may all expect as customers and what we may all think is right as a customer may mean we have to spend more time in the airport. Because maybe we have to be tested, or maybe we have to have our temperatures taken, or maybe we have to do something else to sort of prove that we're not only who we are to get on the airplane, but we're also safe to not infect others on the airplane. There's that give and take there of we want to spend less time to not be involved with people. On the other time, it might take more time to do some of the things we need to do to make everyone feel safe. Clearly, airports are going to have to think about queuing lines and space There's not a lot of space in a lot of airports. So if you want people to stand six feet apart when they're going through security, imagine how long those lines are going to be, right? They're going to be incredibly long if you think of any sort of demand. So they got to think about what does all that mean? Hold rooms in airports aren't that large. That's the name of the space outside the gate where people wait to board. Are you going to dramatically try to expand that and maybe only 
launch flights every three gates so you can have people spread out. That would change the economics of the airport in a pretty big way and how airlines could schedule. So there's a lot of conflicting sort of issues here that I think a coalition among airports and airports would be an effective way to try to address some of those. I wonder if we could go back to early mid-March when COVID started to come to the United States and there was a lot of concern and we had a number of passengers um, looking to return to the U.S. from their travel abroad. Could you evaluate the performance and responsiveness of the various airlines during that very tumultuous time? You know, as, as a group, I think airlines have generally behaved pretty well. We didn't understand this virus, and I don't know that we fully understand it today, but we certainly didn't understand it in early March well at all, right? So it's kind of amazing how quickly all this happened. I think airlines were sort of caught up with the world, and and they were looking at their bookings and just seeing bookings fall off the cliff and also getting lots of calls saying, I want to cancel my trip because I'm not comfortable traveling. And there was a several-week period where industry revenues were net negative every day, meaning that they were they were refunding much more money every day than they were taking in new. I'm very proud that JetBlue, for example, led the initiative to say require all customers to wear facial coverings. They had already done that for their own crew and other airlines had done that for their crew too. It, it kind of surprises me that airlines who are bigger, more global and like to take the lead on things, were very shy to sort of step up with that sort of thing. I'm not going to be critical of how airlines acted in March, but what I would say is I'd like to see much more proactivity from the industry now to help direct the recovery of the industry. Great advice. Ben, thank you so much. I think this was a fascinating discussion. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you very much. It's great being part of the podcast. GLG is a great uh, company, and I appreciate all you guys do. That was Ben Baldanza, former president and CEO of Spirit Airlines. Ben told us that in his 35 years in the airline business, he has never seen a drop in demand quite like this. Bookings are down a seemingly impossible 99%. Luckily, coming into this crisis, most airlines had a lot of cash on their balance sheets. But looking ahead, the struggle is holding on to that cash, keeping organizations liquid as they burn through millions of dollars a day, just keeping staff, facilities, and equipment ready to go when demand picks back up. Looking to their frequent flyer and credit card assets will be key. When I asked Ben about how airlines can plan for the future while triaging the current situation, he was blunt. There is no long term for this industry if airlines can't survive this existential threat. The crucial deciding factors are the pace and timeline of demand returning. Everyone believes we'll see airline travel come back, but what will have to change about how we fly? Ben told us that the future of air travel depends largely on the comfort level of passengers. What steps are airlines willing to take? Will they require face masks? In airport testing? What about cancellation policies? If you feel sick as your flight approaches, should you be penalized for canceling and preventing the infection of your fellow passengers? After my conversation with Ben, it sounds like the new normal for air travel will mean health screenings, less crowded flights, revamped airports, and a lengthier airport experience, the decline of business travel, and unfortunately, higher ticket pricing. We hope you'll join us next time for a brand new episode of Deciding Factors featuring another one of GLG's council members. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Or email us at decidingfactors at glgroup.com if you have feedback or ideas for future show topics. For Deciding Factors in GLG, I'm Eric Jaffe. Stay safe out there and thanks for listening.